if you knew that the, the, you were looking at your loved one face-to-face for the last time, and you would never see them again, what would that conversation look like? You probably would talk about how much you love and appreciate them. You probably would talk about some practical instructions after you're gone. You might talk about some special memories that you have together. Maybe there's some uh, things that you need to reconcile between one another, some things you need to, to iron out and work through and forgive one another to make peace. Perhaps you might talk about the thing that is most important to you, your faith in the Lord Jesus. You might talk about some warnings of the things that are to come, things that you are concerned about and you want them to be watchful for. This assuredly would be a heartfelt, emotional conversation if you knew that it would be the last conversation that you would have with a dear one to you. And in our text this morning, we see this heartfelt speech and last face-to-face, or what he believed to be his last face-to-face conversation with the Ephesian elders between Paul and these, the elders from Ephesus. The first, in the first part of his speech, which we'll cover this morning, and next week Pastor Matt will cover the, the second half, uh, he reminds them of how he displayed the word and also declared the word among them. His ministry to them was genuine. He practiced what he preached. And as we walk through this passage, we'll see that we, the people of God, are to follow Paul's example and how he ministered to the Ephesians by displaying the word and how he lived and also declaring the word with his lips. So let's read Acts 20, 13 through 38. We're going to read the second half of the speech just for context, but we'll only cover 13 through 27 this morning. Church, this is the word of the Lord. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land, And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent uh, to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back or shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks for repent, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink back, shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word to your church. We thank you that you reveal your sovereign plan of redemption to us in the scriptures. And Lord, we thank you for Ephesian elders and many others who have gone before us, who have preserved the gospel faithfully, and who have passed it down to the next generation who has passed it down to the next generation, and so forth, all until now. And Lord, we know that you will continue that work of preserving and passing on the gospel through your bride until you come back to bring us home. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people who live out your word, who, res- who respond to your word rightly, who seek to be obedient to you and live for your glory, and also who are faithful in declaring your word to one another and to the world around us. Lord, we pray that you do that through uh, this, this uh, sermon, and as we seek to apply it, we pray that you do that by your spirit and by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In last week's text, Paul traveled from Greece to Macedonia and then ended up in Troas where he raised Eutychus from the dead. And after wrapping up a short stay in Troas, Paul's companions took a ship to Assos. But Paul decided to walk the 20 miles south by himself. And we aren't sure exactly why he did that. Uh, Perhaps he wanted to remain 
uh, in Troas a, a tad bit longer to, to check on Eutychus, or maybe he, there were safety reasons for why he wanted to go uh, by himself, because he had a large sum of money that he was taking back to Jerusalem with him. We're not quite sure why he walked by himself, but that's what he did. And once they met each other in, in Assos, Paul got on the ship with them, and then they sailed further south to Mytilene, and then to Chios, and then Samos, and then eventually they landed in Miletus. Paul was on a mission to get to Jerusalem, and so he didn't want to stop in, in Asia. He didn't want to be delayed even further. And so he called the Ephesian elders to come down to him, to Miletus, to speak to them. He called them to give his farewell address to, to uh, the Ephesians. He believed that this would be the last time that he would ever see them face to face. He had spent three years with the Ephesians. He had a deep love and affection for them, and he wanted to see them face to face and encourage them one last time. He wanted to ensure that the Ephesian elders were ready to take the baton of the mission of taking the gospel and preserving the gospel and spreading it through Ephesus and to, throughout the world. He was living out what he commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, where he said, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He was passing on the gospel to the next generation of leaders, and he wanted them to do the same. And in the first part of his speech to the Ephesian elders, he reminded them of his example of how he lived and how he preached the word to them. His life was transformed by the gospel, and it compelled him to want to display the gospel to them and also to proclaim it. He preached the whole counsel of God in order that the lost may be saved and the saints may be equipped and built up. This passage certainly has direct application for elders within the church, and we'll hit on that some this week, and I'm sure uh, Pastor Matt will hit on this uh, next week as well. But So elders are called to, to display the gospel in their lives and also declare it, but this is also applicable to the whole church. All of the people of God are called to display the word with how we live and also declare the word as well. So I'm going to break up our sermon into two different points. Display the word with your life and declare the word with your lips. So first of all, display the word with your life. In his speech, Paul appealed to his example of how he lived before the Ephesians. Why exactly was Paul defending his ministry to the Ephesians? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One was false teaching that was, that was going on. There were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but believed that you had to keep the Jewish traditions and the Jewish laws in order to be saved as well. There were also uh, the, the early forms of Gnosticism arising within the church, and these false teachers were seeking to sway the people of God from the truth outside of the church to believe lies. These false teachers were attacking Paul's credibility and seeking to persuade them from the truth. And we see this in verses 29 and 30 as well, that wolves will come and attack the sheep. They will seek to deceive the sheep and lead them astray from the truth. So the elders needed to be on guard. The shepherds needed to protect the sheep. Paul 
did this uh, in other letters as well, where he defended his, his life and his ministry. He did this in, to, in uh, his letter to the Thessalonians. And if you recall just a few weeks ago, when Paul was in Thessalonica, he was run out of town quickly by the Jews. There was a mob that came to the house of Jason and ran them down to Berea. And so Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, defending the way that he ministered to them and defending the gospel so that they would continue in the faith, so that they would persevere in the truth. And this is what he wanted to do with the Ephesian elders as well. This is why he was defending his ministry. He reminded them of his sincere faith so that they would persevere in the faith themselves, that they would continue on. Now let's look at what characterized Paul's ministry to them, his life and his ministry to the Ephesians. First of all, Paul was humble and loving. He was humble and loving. Luke described Paul as a servant of the Lord. Paul recognized that the lordship of Christ and that all of his life was to be for his glory. The, the Lord had called Paul to spread the gospel throughout the known world, to establish churches, to equip the saints, to raise up elders. This is what the Lord had called him to do. And he humbly poured himself into the lives of those in Ephesus for three years. He was an evangelist to the Jews and the Gentiles. He went both to the synagogue and the hall of Tyrannus. He discipled believers. He raised up men to serve as elders within the church. His humble ministry to the Ephesians was compelled and shaped by his recognition that the Lord was, was over his life. The Lord has trans, transformed him and had led him to this ministry and that he wanted to worship the Lord with his life. And so this is what he did. He gave himself for the church to the glory of God. So he was a humble servant. Paul's ministry to the Ephesians was also done in love. He didn't merely preach in public settings and then retreat from the people, not engaging them in relationship. Rather, he spent time in the homes of the people, admonishing them, getting to know them, strengthening them, encouraging them, praying with them. Look at verse 31. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He was among the people day and night, and he exhorted the Ephesians with tears. His tears were representative of his genuine love, passion, care for the people. He spent time to encourage them and strengthen their faith. He longed to know them, and he wanted them to know and worship and obey the Lord. And he was so passionate about it that it often moved him to tears. The two great commandments go hand in hand. A love for God compels a love for neighbor. The gospel softens our hearts towards one another. And as we love one another we walk alongside each other and encourage one another through the good times and also the tear-filled times. And Paul had a deep and abiding love for the Ephesians because he had experienced the, the grace and the love of God. And so we too, as a people of God who have experienced God's amazing grace, 
his love for us through Christ, we ought to then move towards one another. Our hearts ought to be softened towards one another, to love and encourage and build one another up through both the joys and the trials of life. We have been humbly served by our Lord, brothers and sisters. He has made us right with himself through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. In light of his humble and loving sacrifice for us, we ought to humbly love one another. As Paul invested in the Ephesians and developed close and deep bonds with them, so too should we pursue one another and do life with one another. So brothers and sisters, are you loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And as you do that, are you then being moved towards your neighbor to love them as yourself? How would you describe the amount of time that you spend with your fellow members of the body? How would you describe the depth of your relationships with those that are part of the body? And how would you describe your your love and concern for the members of the body? Paul was humble and loving. Paul also persisted through various trials. When Paul first arrived in Ephesus, he went to the synagogue to preach to the Jews. And he did so for three months. And they were tired of hearing the gospel, and so they ran him out. And then he went to the hall of Tyrannus to preach the gospel to, uh, to, the, to the Gentiles. After the riot in Ephesus, Paul went through Macedonia and then to Greece. While he was serving in Greece and he was about to set sail for Syria, he realized that there was a plot by the Jews that they were going to try to harm him. Therefore, he went through Macedonia again. The Jews in Ephesus and Greece opposed Paul and his gospel message just as the Jews in all the other cities that he went to uh, did. Many of the Jews were opposing him and doing him harm, seeking to stop his ministry, stop the gospel from being proclaimed. And so they would run him out of town, arrest him, beat him, all those things that we've seen throughout Acts. Paul also knew that he would endure more trials even once he got to Jerusalem. He longed to be in Jerusalem, but he knew that trials awaited him. Let's read verses 22 to 23 again. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul knew that just as he was afflicted in every other city, he was going to experience that as well in Jerusalem. Fast forward to chapter 21, verses 10 through 14. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. He wanted to go back to Jerusalem. He had this large financial gift from the churches in Galatia and Macedonia and Achaia and Asia. And he wanted to bring that back to these poor Christians in Jerusalem who needed this financial help as a sign of, of unity between the Gentiles and the Jews. That, hey, th- these, these, Jew- these Gentiles are part of the body of Christ as well, and we are coming to encourage you and provi- help provide for your needs. And I believe that this is, this is the, the primary reason why he's, he's longing to get back to Jerusalem. He's wanting to see and encourage these saints in Jerusalem with this financial gift and to, to be with them. Paul's eyes were not on his present circumstances. They were fixed on the Lord. They were fixed on eternity. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only, if only, I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This was his mission. He was going to finish his course. He was going to finish the race. His ultimate aim in life was not his own personal comfort or gain. Rather, his chief aim in life was to bring glory to God by carrying out the ministry that the Lord had given to him. As we read earlier, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is what the, what Paul, the Apostle Paul had his eyes set on. He had his eyes set on the ministry that God had given him. And he wanted the Ephesians and many others all throughout the world to know and treasure the Lord Jesus above all. He longed to finish the race well by continuing to persevere in the faith and faithfully serving his Lord. Because Paul's eyes were fixed on eternity, fixed on the heavens, he was able to persevere through the temporal trials that he experienced. And Paul's persistence through these various trials were a testimony to the sincerity of his faith. It was an example to the believers and to the world around him that he truly believed in the gospel. He truly believed in the Lord, and he wanted to serve the Lord, and he wanted them to see that. We all face various trials in our lives. Most of us won't even come close to the trials that the Apostle Paul went through. But we do face trials because we live in a fallen world. James 1, 2 through 4 says, To count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials are most assuredly difficult, painful, And they leave us longing for heaven, where there will be no more trials. But our trials also purify our faith. They mature us. Trials cause us to look upward to the Lord, to look up to our King. Because 
That is where our help comes from and nowhere else. Paul's persistence in his faith amid trials was evidence of his genuine faith in Jesus Christ. His eyes were set on eternal matters rather than temporal ones. He truly did put his ultimate hope in the Lord. And this encouraged the Ephesians to continue on in their faith as well. As we look up to the Lord amid trials, we encourage fellow believers, we encourage one another to continue to hope in the Lord as well, trusting in his promises and his presence. Furthermore, as our, our, as our eyes look up to the heavens, then we are telling the world around us where our hope is and where they can find hope as well, that nothing in this world around us can ultimately satisfy only the Lord. And so this is a testimony to one another as the body of Christ, but also to a world that rejects the Lord. It shows them where true hope is found. We are called to display the word by the way that we live our lives. And secondly, we are to declare the word with our lips. Declare the word with our lips. Let's read verses 20 and 21 and then 25 through 27. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both, uh, both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God in a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have, have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In these five verses, I see at least three principles of, of declaring the word of God. The first principle is to declare the word faithfully. The overarching uh, message of the word of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, it is, and, and fundamental to the gospel is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith is, is, is the first aspect of preaching the word faithfully, declaring the word faithfully. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You can't separate a coin, just like you can't separate repentance and faith. If genuine repentance is there, then genuine faith is there as well, and vice versa. You can't have one without the other. In verse 21, Luke uses this language of of, of repentance toward God. Repentance toward God. And I think this is helpful imagery for us in what repentance actually is. Repentance is is turning away from sin, forsaking the sins of this world, and then turning toward God. Repenting toward God. Away from sin and toward God. And then faith is, is not merely an, an intellectual assent to theological realities. Biblical faith also includes us entrusting ourselves to the Lord. We rest in Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection alone to rescue us. We have a swing in our den for our newborn daughter, and if I were to say that I believe that that swing will hold her up and support her, yet just in case I never actually put her down in it, 
then I wouldn't actually have faith in that swing. It actually takes me saying, okay, I'm going to put her down in the swing, trusting that it will support her, that she's not going to fall out, that it's not going to collapse. That is biblical faith. It's actually entrusting yourself to Jesus completely and him alone. So if you say you have faith in the Lord Jesus, yet you put your hope in good works or anything else, then you don't have biblical faith. You're not completely resting and trusting yourself in the Lord. Biblical faith means that we rest in Christ alone for salvation. Friend, perhaps you're here this morning and you have not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And we are so glad that you're here with us. We truly are. I would just ask you, what, what in this world is going to provide true and lasting hope? There's nothing in this world that can ultimately save you. You can't be good enough in order to make yourself right with God. This world will never satisfy. You can keep drinking from this world, but it will never, never quench your thirst. You can try to do all of the good works, but you will never, never meet God's perfect and holy standard. Friend, trust in Jesus who lived the perfect life, who met God's perfect standard. And if you trust in him, he will, it is a fountain that you will, you will continually be quenched. Your thirst will continually be quenched. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin, friend, and turn towards God. Place your faith in Jesus, not just intellectually agreeing with the theological truth. That is certainly a part of it, but also fully entrusting yourself to Christ alone to rescue you. I beg of you to do that this morning. And brothers and sisters in this room, as we preach the gospel, we ought to call people to repentance and faith. We must tell people about who God is, about our fallen sinful nature, and about the work of Jesus Christ and his, his coming, his second coming, his final coming, where he will judge the living and the dead. We are to call uh, we are to, to, to proclaim all of those truths. But these are not just truths that we just leave out there and we, we, we believe or, or we don't believe in our minds, but these are, these are things that we have to respond to. And so, brothers and sisters, let's call sinners to repentance and faith. Call them to turn from their sin and to turn towards God and to entrust themselves to the Lord alone to rescue them. The second aspect of the word faithfully being proclaimed is that, uh, that we are to declare the whole counsel of God. Paul said that he taught the Ephesians everything that was profitable, and he taught them the whole counsel of God. He taught them the grand narrative of Scripture. He preached the Old Testament, how Jesus was the fulfillment of that in his perfect life, in his death, and his resurrection from the grave. Although the gospel is certainly fundamental to the Christian faith, Paul continued to disciple the Ephesians by teaching them all of the scriptures and its implications on their lives, how they ought to live in response to the gospel. A vital aspect to our discipleship, church, is, is growing in our knowledge of God's word. 
We need the word of God fed to us on the Lord's day. We need to help one another grow in our understanding and living out our obedience to the word of God as we live out life together through our base groups week to week, throughout the week. We need to encourage one another with the truths of God's word on a regular basis. We need our souls to be nourished with the whole counsel of God. And so I ask you, is your soul being nourished by the whole counsel of God? Is your soul being fed by the word of God? The second principle on declaring the word is to declare the word with boldness. Paul did not shrink back. He did not mince words to the Ephesians. He was not afraid to speak God's truth to them. He preached the word no matter how they responded. We're very angry at his preaching. Months before he was kicked out, and this is the same thing we've seen all throughout Acts. He said that he was innocent of their blood because he had faithfully persisted in preaching the good news to them. And so the blood was on their own hands. It wasn't on his. He did his job of proclaiming the word, not shrinking back. So the, the blood was on theirs now. He didn't fear man. Instead, he feared the Lord, and he sought to be obedient to his king. In Matthew 10, 26 through 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them that persecution will come, but to continue on. Don't fear this, don't fear man, but fear the Lord. He says this in 26 through 33 of Matthew 10. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Let me say it again. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are, are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny my, my father who is in heaven. God is the one who is in control and knows all things. And further, he is the one who has the power to destroy both soul and body in hell. Therefore, we ought to fear him rather than man, who can merely destroy the body. Although the world around us is antagonistic to the gospel, we are called to remain faithful and steadfast in declaring the word of God. The third and final principle on declaring the word is to declare the word as the Lord opens the doors. Declare the word as the Lord opens the doors. Paul taught the word in public, in the synagogue, in the hall of Tyrannus. He taught the word to both Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is for all people. He taught it to Jews and Gentiles. And we too, church, are called to proclaim the gospel and send the gospel and support the work of the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. Paul also went into the homes of the Ephesians. He spent time with them, getting to know them and pursuing them, ministering to them. He taught the word every opportunity that he had. 
So church, what are the opportunities that the Lord has given you? What are the doors that he has opened for you that we just need to simply walk through and, and be faithful in proclaiming the word? Perhaps you have opportunities in your home with children who don't know the Lord uh, or just discipling uh, your, your children who do know the Lord. Maybe it's your workplace or your neighborhood, a rec league, gym, coffee shop, park, school. The list goes on and on. Where has the Lord uh, sovereignly put you, and how can you be a faithful witness wherever he has put you? There are lots of opportunities that we have throughout our everyday lives. And so may we continue to grow and in, in being intentional with the relationships that the Lord provides for us. May we just seek to live on mission as we go about our normal everyday lives. I encourage you to consider and perhaps write down one way that maybe you can be intentional to move towards people around you who you're already encountering on a regular basis in your everyday rhythms of life and seek to share the hope of the gospel with them. As we conclude this morning, I've just got two, two application points. First of all, the church is to call out men whose lives display and lips declare the word to serve as elders. The church is to call out men whose lives display and lips declare the word to serve as elders. The biblical model for church leadership was established in the early church and in large part to the Apostle Paul's labor. He was instrumental in raising up men to serve as elders within the church. Paul called the elders of the Ephesian church to exhort them. He, he, can't, he called them to come to Miletus to exhort them because they were the shepherd leaders of the flock in Ephesus. He wanted the, the, the shepherds of the flock to be equipped to, to, uh, to continue to feed and protect and to lead the, the, the sheep in Ephesus. And so this is why he brought them to him, to exhort them in this, to continue to persevere in, in feeding, knowing, and leading the flock of God among them. He wanted to equip them one final time for that. And Paul lived out the example before the Ephesians uh, that he wanted the elders to follow. He, he, uh, he, pastors are called to know and be an example of the flock, just as Paul was to the Ephesians. And this means that in order for pastors to be able to display the word, to the flock and declare the word to the flock, then we have to know and we have to spend time with the people of God, spend time with the members. And on the flip side of this, mem members, this also means that, that we, we have to be uh, open to allowing pastors to enter into our lives. So perhaps, you know, responding to communication, whether it be text or phone call or email, allowing us to come and visit you in your home and encourage you and, and spend time with you or if there's something going on that maybe perhaps you need, just need to reach out to us and let us know what's going on. Invite us into your life and, and welcome that so that we can come alongside and encourage you. And, and by the way, all of our pastors are first sheep. And so we, we all have shepherding elders as well. And we need to allow that uh, to happen as well uh, for us, for our souls to be encouraged by our fellow pastors as well. We're going through the, the elder recommendation process now, as you, as you guys are aware. And what we see in this passage is, is some of the characteristics that we ought to see uh, a prospective elder candidate already doing before they actually become elders within the church. 
We need men who are committed to the Lord, both in word and deed, and who have a heart for the people of God who want to help come alongside them, to be an example to them in the way that they live their life, and also to declare the word to them. The second application that, uh, that I would have that's very applicable now to our context as a church is that we should display and declare the word during Serve Week. So as you all know, today is the beginning of our, of our annual Serve Week, where we're going to be out in the community uh, serving in a, in a variety of ways all throughout the week, and it ends next Saturday night with our big community fun night over at Duncan Creek Park. And so this is, we, have a, we have a unique opportunity to actually live out the principles that we see in this passage this morning. We, we are called to declare the gospel with our lips and also to display the gospel with our lives. So we have lots of opportunities. And so as, as we serve this, this week, let's serve as we see the, saw the Apostle Paul serve the, the, the Ephesians in humility and love. And let's pray for opportunities to declare the word of God as we are out and about in the community this week. And let's pray that the Lord would bear much fruit as we both display and declare the word of God to our community. Brothers and sisters, we have been saved with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of our great salvation, may we continue to persist in living in a way that displays the word of God. And may we also be faithful to declare the word of God with our lips. May we humbly serve one another in love and persist in our faith in the midst of trials. May we be a people who declare the word of God with our lips. May we do so faithfully and boldly as the Lord opens up doors. And as we display and declare the, the word, may the Lord bear much fruit through his people for his glory. Let's pray, church. Lord, we are so thankful for the gospel. We are so thankful that the Lord Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Lord, I pray for my friends in this room who have not believed in the gospel. They have not repented of their sin, turned from their sin and turned towards you and placed faith, completely entrusting themselves to Christ alone to save them. God, would you work in their hearts even now, drawing them to yourself, granting them faith and repentance to be reconciled back to you. And Lord, we thank you for saving your people that are here this morning. We thank you that you have called us to repentance and faith. Lord, help us to continue to love you with everything, recognizing you as the Lord of our life. And may we continue to persevere in the faith, hold fast to the true truth of your word. And may our love for you fuel our love for one another. Help us to be committed to spending time together, building deep relationships with one another, encouraging one another with the truth of your word so that we would press on in our faith. And as we face various trials of various kinds, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And Lord, when we are tempted to look to this world, may we come alongside our brothers and sisters to help continue to point our eyes to you. 
Empower us, Lord, to be a people who declare the word of God faithfully and boldly as you open up doors. And we pray that you would do that even this week during Serve Week. And Lord, may, we, may that continue on as a part of, of, as the culture of our church, that we would continue to display and declare your word to our community. We pray all this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.